Hi, I am Herman Atardo, and this is FinOps Pod. Let's do the intro first, and then we can move into all the other stuff. Let's. Ready? I want it someday to do the intro last. Too bad. It's called an okay. outro when you do that. Hi, I'm Stacey Case. And I'm Joe Daly. And, and this, this is FinOps Pod. Yes. I have something I need to tell you. I've been listening to the podcast and particularly, I really enjoyed the last one with your lo-fi outro. Um, I hope your daughter enjoyed it. But it got me also thinking for years now, I've been saying finoppers and you've been saying finoppinot. I can't even say that word. Finoptinots. Finoptinots. I'm letting you know now and forever, I am team Finoppers, and you can be team Finoptonauts, but I kind of feel like now I want a fin shirt as team Finoppers. Finoppers, like you're- so That's you like grasshopper. You just jumping around? Jumping around from one Finops adventure to the next, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. You know what Finoptonauts do? Finoptonauts take off. Yeah, and they're never to be heard from again. <laughs> I, I'm going to get a shirt that says, or I'm going to have one and people can choose. You can check it out. I think we should have a shirt that says Team Phenopters. Oh my And gosh. on the bottom should say Team Phenoptonauts and it can check mark. And you can check which one you are. You know what? Let's workshop Phenopsex right now on the podcast and leave all the people who are actually playing <laughs> Phenopsex out of this. We should have a pin that has a little dial and it says, I'm Team Finoppers. Finoppers. Or I'm team Finoppers. See, so much easier to say. That sounds like an insult. People, I wish you could see my face of disbelief as he just called all of us fine, fine Finoppers insulting. Insulted? You insulted us. When I say Finoptonaut, there's highs, there's lows, and then I'm just like, I'm thrilled at the end of the word. I'm partying up with Finoppers. Like, yo, Finoppers, where are my Finoppers at? See, it's right there. After you after you say Finoptonaut, you like get out of the line and then you go to the screen that has the picture of everyone going, woo, because it's like such a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should talk about this podcast now. I actually don't even know what this podcast is about because I haven't gotten a recording. I heard a rumor that this podcast is our very own Rod Martin and Hermano, mm-hmm. but I actually don't know that. Is that, is that true? It is true. I've been working on it for a while and schedules just never aligned for one reason or another. And then finally, we were able to record a session between our own Rob Martin and ESW Capital's Armano Atardo, who was one of our first FinOps professionals certifications. That's right. That's right. And it's true. I haven't given you the recording of it yet. And it's not even done being edited yet, but I promise <laughs> I'm going to get it done. The thing is, normally when we do an interview, you know, we record about 30 minutes and then we all say, good job, everybody. I was giving the sign, wrap it up, and Rob and Armano were feeling it and they just plowed right through that sign. What were they talking about? Hold on. What was the conversation? Everything, about? everything, oh, and anything. So we're getting a master class is what we're getting, a master class on all the things. If you've ever had a conversation with Rob, Rob is a very intelligent, well-thought 
person. He's very fun to talk to. I don't know if we're going to let Rob back on the podcast. He creates a lot of editing work. But <laughs> the thing is, they started the conversation about FinOps tooling. It ends in a completely different area because they just start having a conversation. They go back and forth. I think the plan I have right now is I'm going to, it's all really good conversation. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to split it in half. The first half, which is just about done editing, uh, I'm going to play afterward after this intro. And then the second half I'll release later. And it's kind of funny because in the second half, like I finally break in and be like, all right, guys, let's, let's wrap, it up. wrap it and, up. And they keep going. They're like, oh, okay, Joe. And then they keep going. But really what this is, is very similar to part of the FinOps professional program is that Rob hosts office hours and anyone who's enrolled or an alumni of the professional program can call into the office hours and they go on any topic and they really dive deep into some pretty niche areas of FinOps and, and develop some pretty opinionated stances on things and everyone really enjoys it. And that's kind of what happened. And I get to edit it. You know, if all the FinOpers out there are really going to appreciate your fine editing skills and not cutting this to just 30 minutes, but actually making it a two-part conversation because FinOpers are really just advocates of education and learning and they appreciate it. Whereas the FinOpinots are probably like, just give me 10 minutes and be done. Wrap it up. Is that it? Is that FinOpinots are like, wrap it up. I got to go back to FinOpping. FinOpping. No, it's a great conversation. It's gold. It's really interesting insights. There are a lot of times where I'm looking for this halfway point of, all right, this is, this is where we're going to wrap up part one, but I keep going, oh, that's a really interesting point. That's a good point too. It's fun. Ermano is, he's Italian living in Switzerland and he has some really fun references that like, you know, as an American, I don't hear or know about and he, he's quoting Italian volleyball coaches. And I'm like, you really learn a lot. What's beautiful about our community is it's global. So you get yeah. a lot of different experience out of this. So I love it. Well, it's I'm all good. Yeah, I'm excited to listen to this, at least part one of this, whatever it turns out to be. I'm sure it's going to be amazing. Hey, editing podcasts are hard, but it's good. It's fun. And we'll get part one of Rob and Armano for all you Finoptonauts out there and Finoppers. I am Ermano Tardo. I work in ESW Capital as a VP of Product Management. I'm also a FinOps practitioner and professional and ambassador recently. I've been involved with the FinOps Foundation. It's been a great experience. Is there any FinOps title you do not hold? That would be the question. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm not a TAC member. <laughs> there we go. Okay. That's goals for the future. It's always good to have goals. You were one of the first three, I think, uh, of FinOps professionals to pass the program early in 2022. So thank you for doing that. I was pretty excited because it was new and it's been a great experience with so many people. I made friends also, of course, as a side. That's great. We're talking about FinOps tooling. Yeah, that's right. We usually make a distinction between tools and platforms. There are also FinOps platforms, which are complete ecosystems so that in theory should do everything. Too bad that when we ask people in the 2022 uh, survey, companies reported that they use on average 3.7 tools or platforms. So you don't have any turnkey solution that you can just use one 
and it does everything. You use a couple of things at least, 3.7 on average. Does that seem like a lot or does it seem like a little? I guess I'm thinking of large organizations where a lot of tools would be in use that may be low, but smaller organizations pay. Right, but large organizations have a cost of acquisition. Every time they want to onboard a vendor or start using a tool, it's an organizational process. So the fact that they need more stuff in this case, it really depends. Because if you have a tool which does only one thing, of course, you're supposed to need more than one. But if you adopt a platform which is intended to be a complete and full turnkey solution, then you're supposed to have one. So this actually means that they don't work like that. You need more stuff. Well, that, that would be a bad thing. Right. So I guess the typical question around tools is often, should I use the cloud native tools that come with the different cloud providers? Should I buy a platform or should I build something for myself? How do you address that? That kind of big question. Yeah, my take is that you should use cloud native tools. And here's why. Sure, it depends on how the company implements the tool. It's not about the tool itself. It's how your company implements it. And there are benefits on adopting a platform such as it becomes super easy to provide the reports. Maybe you have a compliance requirement or of course you can have a custom solution, but it's super easy to just buy the tool that already does it for you. But I think this is a Kind of a weak use case. Maybe we can say that you have a good user experience. Okay. That's a little better. On the other hand, if you're using more than one cloud, there could be a benefit in having everything in one place. So that's often the case. And then I could talk about multi-cloud if it's a good idea or not. I, I would say that we have this invisible vendor lock-in. There is data out. I was having a conversation with my friend, one of the, the people that I met during the FinOps Pro course, Janakan Arul Kumarazan. I met him in Zurich and he said, uh, he asked me a question. He said, Hermano, do you think that the major cloud service providers will get sued by antitrust? They get fined by antitrust? And I asked, why do you think so? Because data out costs more than data in. And I couldn't understand the question. But he said, by doing this, they encourage you, it, it's easier to send data inside their cloud than to send it out. So the data should stay in their cloud. And I'm like, wow, that's brilliant. So there's this invisible vendor lock-in. And he was characterizing that as antitrust. Yeah. I said, in my opinion, this is not antitrust material, of course, I don't think. But that was a perspective. I think it's probably definitely a business strategy to create that kind of stickiness to, yeah. any, to any kind of product like that. Yeah. Yeah. So in the multi-cloud case, if we've got, if we need to have vendor tools to integrate multiple clouds data together, then at the point where we either have to buy one of these platforms or we have to integrate the cloud native data by building our own kinds of platforms, what have you seen? in the companies that you've worked with in terms of bringing those things together? I've seen that there's no need to bring anything together. You can have, if you use three different cloud service providers, you can have three different reports and they're fine. So I didn't find a use, but I could see why a company could just want to purchase the easy solution and not spend any time on it because sometimes the cost of opportunity matters. So the time it takes 
you to build the, your custom solution could cost you more than just buying it. So sometimes there is this reasoning. But you also got the ability to customize the solution to exactly the way you need it to. And I guess a lot of companies aren't really sophisticated enough technologically to pull off their own development project like that. That's right. I must say that one good thing about the FinOps platform is that they do a great job at visualizing, a great job, a comprehensive. The thing is, do you need this complexity? And there is a trade-off on time resolution. They are not real-time. Often uh, you need, a, they, they come at a delay of 48 hours. Some are faster and they need to normalize data from different places. So, and I don't know how that, that works exactly for every single tool, but I can assume that if you do that, you need to maybe poll data frequently to approximate the oh. real-time use case, which is expensive because you make API calls or whatever, and then there's data traffic, especially in the multi-cloud scenario, you're going to host a platform somewhere. So you, there's going to be some traffic charge. And besides that, nothing is going to be as fast as uh, the cloud native tool. If you use AWS and you have data there, and you use their tool, you have all the full observability capabilities, and it's already there. We were talking about that in the pro office hours earlier today. I think a lot of people look at that real-time and real-time decision-making domain, or when we talk about real-time cost optimization, it's really, in my mind, about acting on data as it comes to you, not necessarily getting the data in real-time, because I think there's a real, even using the cloud-native tools, I think there's a delay in seeing some of the data. Some of the services or service teams, product teams may report their data to the billing file on a different cadence, kind of less frequently than some of the other ones. So. I think there's always that kind of fuzziness in the total amount of data that you're getting in the last day or so. You've talked a couple of times about this, you know, it's not just the tool, right? Using any kind of a tool like this is complex. It adds additional complication to the way that you do FinOps. I think there's a kind of a, a naive understanding among some people out there that, you know, just buying a tool will solve our problem, but I don't think that's ever really the case, right? Yeah, completely. Because when you start, when you get the idea, if you decide to adopt a tool, you may have a starting idea, but then you find problems, you find issues, and you may not be prepared organizationally to address those. So maybe the platform reports there are 10 or 15 things to do, outstanding issues, but who's going to do them? Who's opening the tool? It depends. You have many teams. Each team has their own language, their own goals, the, the way, the workflows, the way they act and think. So there is a difficulty in coordinating action. But sometimes the tool reports something that is completely new. Actually, this, this could be a differentiator because if the only thing a tool is, is just a commodity, then you find no value. You, can, you could just use another tool. But sometimes tools do bring up something valuable. But valuable means unexpected. Unexpected means that you are not prepared to act. So you must form a plan to do that. That's where the organization must intervene. And uh, honestly, I think that some tools, while they do a good job at visualizing, you, you kind of need a PhD in their tool to understand everything because it confuses people with, with information overload. And then it makes it more complicated to know who is supposed to act exactly. We've really got to spend some time on the team getting that expertise or building that expertise and understanding of how to use any tool that we bring in. Yeah, sometimes there is this misconception that a, a team just forms a, a FinOps 
team and this FinOps team should drive everything itself. So if we think about it, an organization like a graph or a tree, if you prefer, where every person is a circle and these circles are connected by arrows. So at the top of the tree, we have the board of directors and we have C-level, senior manager and so on, all the way down to the individual contributors. Then we find that in different branches of the organization, there are different languages, different goals. And another FinOps professional, Frank Contrepois, made an example of a dialogue with a CFO where engineers were trying to explain uh, reserved instances. And the CFO couldn't understand, really. He had doubts. But then someone came in and said, no, the uh, reservations are a forward buy contract in an illiquid market. And the CFO is, oh, got it. And it makes sense. Approved. Just like that. <laughs> Sometimes you have to nail it to know the language and to know what people are after in their branch, in their role. So we just spoke about this graph. If the FinOps team is like a separate circle with an arrow and it floats, and this arrow moves around and travels around the graph and visiting every single person or branch, maybe horizontally, but also vertically from top to down. And its job is to educate everyone on everything. Then the FinOps team is a super powerful SWAT team that speaks any language. And it's an incredible life coach that should turn everyone in, into knowing everything. And with the same level of responsibility and ownership as the CEO of the company. And that's not going to happen. It's impossible. So we will work using the existing organizational structure, which means, sure, the FinOps team should speak many languages, but work closely with the top of the organization and get fully a mandate. You don't just hire a FinOps team without knowing the work. So then the FinOps team must go back and ask for mandate because at the time you hire them, you didn't even know what they were supposed to do, right? You work closely and then you, you align uh, the organization and then each manager will talk to their subordinate until the, they go to the individual uh, contributor. Well, that's interesting. So it sounds very similar to the way you don't just buy a tool and expect it to do the job for you. You have got to manage it in the same way. You can't just create a FinOps team out of nothing and expect it to be effective in the organization that way. I know you've talked in the past with me about the difference between a, a group and a team. Talk a little bit about the effective FinOps teams and the characteristics that you see coming together to make them effective. Yeah, a good call. Actually, one of the most common misconceptions, even on taking action for the FinOps team or anyone in the company after they see a to-do list in a FinOps platform or a tool, is that they have a low engagement. but and if we define engagement as a series of interesting choices, this is the definition that comes from Sid Meier, the video game developer. He's a, the guy who developed Civilization 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and so on. Super successful developer. Engagement starts with a clear understanding. And in order to have a clear understanding, you should first nail the language. So moving to the topic of taking action, and what makes a team different than a group. According to Julio Velasco, who is a, a legend, he is a, a sports coach who turned certain volleyball teams into Olympic winners. 
for decades in a row uh, in several countries, especially in Italy. But he's a, an international legend. He says, if you start putting random people together and play volleyball, all they do is they try and send the ball to the adversary part of the field, hoping you would score. And that seems to work. But when you define roles and you force the group to work differently, it becomes a team. You say, you are the guy who's supposed to only receive the ball. You are the slimer. And you are the person who does the intermediate step to make it easier for the slimer to have the ball exactly in the right place. So again. And so the next question is, but what happens if, if I have a golden opportunity to slam and it's not my role? You don't do it. If you do it, you are not working as a team. You are back to a group. And if people force themselves to stick to their role, then it works as a team. So when we speak about engagement, there is this misconception that trust is what builds a team. Sure, trust is an important catalyst. Trust is wonderful, right? But let's not confuse trust with social capital. I will quote Ian Nowland, the SVP of engineering at Datadog, who introduced to me for the first time the concept of social capital. Uh, social capital is when you have been nice to people, so people are nice to you. If there is anything that fails, they, they will say, it's our problem, it's not yours. You're not alone to fix it. Okay? This sounds wonderful. However, when trust is the only thing, you're still in a group situation. What you really need to make the step is to define roles because the hard part of trust is giving it. So when you say this activity is somebody else's responsibility, it's somebody else's role, it's not mine. If you think that you have anything important to say, you can reach out to the person and inform them. But ultimately, it's their call. That's where you trust the person. That's where you trust. And even if you inform the person, and the person still thinks otherwise, the ultimate act of trust is saying, okay, I may disagree, but I will commit. I will do my part to make it successful, and you will do yours. And that's where we get the golden team, and it works. So moving back to the topic of engagement, sometimes, because roles are not defined, things don't work. You cannot just take a dashboard with 10 things to do and everyone trusts each other, so one another, so magically someone will get to it and do it. It doesn't work like this. Maybe out of 10 people, everyone could think that somebody else is about to do it. Or, or worse, everybody's doing the same thing. Everybody takes, the, oh. everybody takes item three and starts to work on that independently of one another. Yeah. This happened. I have a story to share on the topic of trust. My direct superior is Rahul Subramaniam, great person. He is, I think, the manager everyone would like to have. Everyone would like to work with him. So here's the story. <laughs> there was a time that Rahul was away. He was busy, I think on holiday or just traveling around because he's in high request. And his chief of staff gave me a requirement, something that, that Rahul wanted to be done. And to be honest, it didn't make any sense to me. But I, I trust Rahul. So I'm like, if Rahul said it, then uh, probably has a good reason. So I will try to make it work. I will try to make it work. And I, and I really I brainstormed on this thing. So he was back one month later. In the meantime, I had talked to different teams to get approval. And this thing was approved by technical product management, by engineering, and everyone was happy. 
there were problems, but we fixed everything and we actually found a purpose and a way to make it work. It was super high quality. But when Rahul came back, he said, this is actually good, but um, like, where does it come from? This is not what we should be doing. So <laughs> we, did we did good work, but it was the wrong work. We need to be great communicators, great communicators. With great communication, you will naturally develop trust. But it's not trust first. It, trust comes from earnest interaction and good communication. Right. And I could see a role for that both within the FinOps team. Obviously, you want to have some crossover skills sharing and knowledge sharing between members of the FinOps team, but also between the FinOps team and the rest of the organization. Right. That engagement that's there. Because, I mean, trust is important. And to bring it back to tools a little bit, as if you're using tools to generate your data, whatever you're using, whether it's cloud native or something you built or something you bought, maintaining that trust in the data, maintaining that trust in the the output of the FinOps team is so incredibly important. And once you lose that, it can go away. But as you said, you know, if you don't have the engagement then to follow up on it, to really help and make sure that the things that the FinOps team is doing and recommending are getting followed through on or getting carried out, that can be just as bad. You know, if you listen to the entirety of a FinOps pod episode, you might just be a FinOptonaut. That is part one of the discussion between Rob Martin and Romano Atardo. Very thoughtful. They're just so thoughtful and earnest and really enjoying the back and forth questioning, thinking through. Going through this, it's kind of like they pick up a concept and they're rotating it around, really looking at it at all angles of why you would go with a certain tool and would it work and how would you implement it? There's no right or wrong reason. We often say it depends, but really what it is that there's a lot of different factors that go into choosing a FinOps tool and how you operate as a FinOps team. And I think Rob and Romano are sharing a lot of that kind of thoughtfulness of what are the factors you need to consider. It's interesting how trust throughout all these FinOps pod episodes, trust is a large factor in the work that we all do. Very interesting. Thank you so much, Rob Martin. Thank you so much, Romano Artardo. Thank you, guys. You gave me two episodes worth of content for one recording. Part two will come out in the future. If you enjoy these types of conversations and you are interested in more of them, I encourage you to consider the FinOps Certified Professional course. It's a whole bunch of this and more. You can talk to Rob and Romano every week and all the other FinOps pros that are out there. All right. With that, thank you, Rob. Thank you, Romano. Thank you, Stacy. Thank you, Finoptonaut and Finopper. That's all for this episode of Finops Pod. Keep on Finopsing.